Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do list one week at a time. I'm your host, Sam Morris, and with me are my co-host, Tessa Suela. Hello. And Andy Bowman. Hello. Today we're doing something a little different. We're talking about six action movies from the 90s. Point Break, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Rock, Mission Impossible, Con Air, and Face Off. Why are we doing this? For the releases of The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, Tessa and I hosted movie marathons to prepare. One spring, we also hosted a one-day Lord of the Rings extended edition marathon. This year, we decided to make a yearly event in December not necessarily tied to any specific franchise. So I used that opportunity to convince Tessa to make this year's marathon all 90s action movies. And she liked it. I mean, I'd already watched nine Fast and Furious movies. It seemed like this was just a continuation of that. Guys, we we need help. It's 2020. We're in a pandemic. We're at Christmas alone. It's just all the movies. Andy's concession to this whole mania that we've had is he's come up with a game. Andy? I have come up with a game. And this game is, uh, I believe, is a work of pure genius. And it's called... New metal album title or 90s straight to video action movie. Right now, for your theme song, imagine Bawatapa. Sure, sure. <laughs> anyway, the rules of this game are simple. I'm going to give you a few words. Those words are either the title of a new metal album or a 90s straight to video release, a film, uh, whatever you want to call it. A 90 straight to video something. All right, both of you will take a guess, and I will uh, rack up the points at the end and uh, declare a winner. Oh, there's a winner to this game. All right. Of course there's a winner. You don't know this, Andy, but we are very competitive in this household, in the Suela Morris household. We're even competitive about whose last name goes first. (laughs) It's mine, by the way. We're not alphabetical in this household. Well, to be fair, Suela Morris sounds better than Morris Suela. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Your first quip is every six seconds. Is this a new metal album title or a 90s straight-to-video release? Once again, it is every six seconds. Oh, man, I'm scared. I'm not going to lie. I was a very small child in the 90s, and so... Either new metal or straight to video action movies are not are definitely not something that's in my my repertoire of of nineties pop culture. I should say I'm gonna go with album title. I think every six seconds sounds like an album title. New metal. You are both correct. That is yes. the album from the band Saliva. Your next round is Zapped Again. This is a straight-to-video action movie from the 90s. This, seems, this just seems like that kind of corny, like, face-off kind of title. New metal. And the winner of this round is Tessa. Yes! It is a high school teen comedy where a science club discovers that they, have, that they can make uh, telekinetic powers. Apparently, this movie features... 
No one I recognize, but also some problematic elements, so please don't go looking up Zapped again. Less playing this game, the titles of this game are not necessarily in, an endorsement either of the new metal groups or of the straight to 90s action movies. Would you say that's correct, Andy? Correct. Next round. Mind Twister. Oh, that's definitely an album title. New metal. You are both wrong. It is a film. It is a direct to uh, video film, which, by the way, is an erotic thriller in the genre of, uh, uh, what is it, like Fatal Attraction. This movie was released in 1994 and, again, stars nobody that I recognize. I feel like straight-to-video movies usually have all of the people either before they become famous or the people who just never become famous. The only exception. And if there's not one of these on your list, you have done it incorrectly, Andy, is Jean-Claude Van Damme. I specifically avoided Jean-Claude Van Damme. And the reason for that is because I know that you know a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme straight-to-video releases, Sam. I'm not going to stack the deck against Tessa like that. Remember, we're all primed for some Jean-Claude Van Damme trivia later in the app. All right, so the score is... (laughs) Three to two. Tessa is currently winning. Your next round is The Burning Red. Album title. New Metal. You are both correct. This is an album from Machine Head. I'm not sure that today is the day to do it, but at some point we need to do the podcast within a podcast. Bands named after good grunge songs. We'll do we'll do Godsmack and we'll do Machine Head and Seether. Your next one. This one should theoretically be very easy. 10,000 Fists. Straight to video? I don't know. New Metal. Correct. 10,000 Fists is the album from the band Disturbed. Knew it. I actually knew that one. Famous for Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. Who's winning now, Andy? We're tied. It is tied. So nobody. Oh, I'm winning. We're, we're, (laughs) We're all losers here except for Andy. Okay, four left. Good luck. Felons and Revolutionaries. Album title. New Metal. That is Felons and Revolutionaries from the band Dope. Next up, Pros and Cons. Action movie? Action movie. You are both correct. It's a group of professional bounty hunters and the cons they catch. See, I was thinking more like it was a buddy comedy, like there was a pro and a con. No. It is a movie starring Larry Miller about an accountant who gets arrested. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's, that's one way to go. Next up, we have Fatal Charm. Okay. So this could go action movie because I could see somebody trying to rip off Fatal Attraction and like have a name that was sort of similar. That does seem like a straight to video thing to do but I think I'm going to go with album title. Good job, SAT, talking it through. New Metal. You are both incorrect. It is an action movie. It is a direct-to-DVD thriller film starring the wonderful uh, no one I recognize. So, yeah. The story is an innocent and naive teenage girl has her eye on a guy called Adam who is convicted of murder. She can't believe that he is a serial killer, and she tries to prove to others that he is not. We got, we, we, we got two left. We're neck and neck. 
you're you're, you're something and something. Or hard target to hard target. <laughs> Satan's princess. Oh God. <laughs> Album title. New metal. You're both wrong. It what? is a 1990 direct to uh, video film starring Robert Forster. Satan's Princess would be a great album title name, though. Like with some like really goth 90s like. Yeah. See, that's the problem. It's Manson, not new metal. That was the problem there. Ah, uh, yeah. I see. If, if it's still tied up here, I do have a a tiebreaker round. Are you ready for the next one? The next one is. It all comes down to this. Fallen. Album title. New metal. Bring on the tiebreak. We are going to the tiebreaker. That is indeed an album. It is indeed an album uh, by Evanescence. I knew it. I knew that's what it was, which is why I went with album. I listen to Evanescence. I know who that is. I picked this one specifically because I thought it was going to end up being both. But apparently, there is not a 90s direct-to-video movie titled Fallen. I could not find one. You know, if we do enough games, what we should do is get, like, Def Leppard to do a cameo where they do, instead of bringing on the heartache, bringing on the tiebreak. <laughs> is Def Leppard on cameo? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That's your research for next time, Andy. I, I guess. I, thank you for giving me <laughs> research to do to, to find the band Def Leppard. And not, not members of the band. The entire band has to be on Cameo. Individually. I have to pay them each individually a, uh, a Cameo fee. Well, they might have a group rate. You don't know. You haven't looked yet. <laughs> Are you guys right? Now, now for this one, because it is the tiebreaker, the first person to uh, call in, uh, to ding in, whatever it is. To How about we just shout it out? Will that work for you? The, the fir- but here, here's the thing. I have to have finished saying the entire title. The Land Before Time for colon Journey Through the Mists. Switch to video. Action video. I, I, I got to give that one to Sam. So thank you for... Thank you for playing. <laughs> just, just new metal album or '90s straight to video. <laughs> Quick wit, I guess. Um, all right, so kicking off with the movie that Andy is wrong about, we had 1991's Point Break, directed by Catherine Bigelow and starring Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, Gary Busey, and Laurie Petty. Former Ohio State quarterback turned FBI agent Johnny Utah attempts to take down notorious bank robbers, the ex-presidents. Tessa, you got up early for this six-movie marathon, and we came in real hot. What did you think about this movie? Well, I mean, I hate to to spoil the rest of the episode, but this was my favorite movie that we watched that day. Was it two days ago? I don't know. What is time anymore? But... Yeah, I mean, we had just watched the Fast and Furious franchise, and obviously the first film, The Fast and the Furious, is a ripoff of this, and I think that this is much better than that film was. It's hard not to compare those two, but I I like the idea of this movie. I thought it was going to be a straight-up cop movie, and I was pleasantly surprised to learn that it's more of like a homoerotic subversive 
action movie about surfing. So I, I really enjoyed that. I really, I love anything that Keanu Reeves is in. It doesn't matter how bad it is. But I, I enjoyed the chemistry between Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze and sort of this idea that uh, this narrative that like a criminal who is trying to do something that's subversive to the system can sort of pull other people to them. I really enjoyed that too. I think that the most unrealistic part of this entire movie, besides Keanu Reeves jumping out of a plane with a gun without a shoot, is the romance between Laurie Petty and Keanu Reeves. It just didn't work. Because Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves had better chemistry. Okay, Andy, why is this not an action movie? Why are you wrong? Why are you hurting us? I'm not even like going to try defending myself in some stupid uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie uh, sham of an argument. I'm just going to say it's not an action movie. It's a romance. Oh. So, so you're saying it can only be one. Are you saying this because Catherine Bigelow is a woman? No, 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 I'm not. But uh, sure, we can go with that. I think that women can't direct action movies. And I'm glad you brought that up, Andy, because the question I'm dying to ask, <laughs> as you know, oh, I, I, or I, maybe I, you didn't, but as you know, James Cameron and Catherine Blig- James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow, both Oscar winners, used to be married. And so the question is, which one is the better action movie, Point Break or early 90s film Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Tessa? Point Break. I like T2 a lot, so that's nothing against T2. I think that Catherine Bigelow is just a better filmmaker. She knows how to ramp up tension. She knows how to make a great shot here. And I think James Cameron relies too much on his own laurels. T2. It's not even a contest. Even if I were to give you the the idea that Point Break is an action movie, which it isn't, T2 is still better. It's got a much better story. It's got cooler action. And uh, I'm just going to say it. Actual action stars. So you have to be an action star to be in an action movie. You can, you can uh, claim that that's the claim I was making. Keanu Reeves is an action star. Now he is. He was then, too. Name 23 other Keanu action movies that came out in 1991. <laughs> what? Nate, you heard me. Who was in 23 action movies in 1991 in Terminator 2? I know this one. Oh, and in Terminator 2? In Terminator 2. Oh, okay. Which I, you're claiming is more of an action movie. I'm pretty sure Jean-Claude Van Damme was in 23 action movies in 1991. <laughs> Okay, we get it. Jean-Claude Van Damme made action movies in the 90s. We get it. I got one more later. And just to go ahead and and get this out of the way, Catherine Bigelow did make one of the greatest action movies of all time in her 1987 movie, Near Dark. But that's a very different movie, and it's much better than Point Break. Point Break, though, not an action movie. Wait, is Near Dark the horror one? The vampire Did one? Did we watch that? We watched that one, didn't we? Yeah, the vampire western. Yeah, we yeah. In the, yeah, we watched in, that in, yeah. in a horror okay. film class. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. We have seen that movie. That is a really good movie. I do agree that Near Dark is better than Point Break. But I just, I, there's something about this movie and the way that it plays with 
these characters and there are whole sequences where they're having gunfights in a in a house although there are a lot of also a lot of boobs in that scene there's you know where they jump out of the plane he jumps out of the plane with a pair without a parachute and a gun how is that not an action movie bugs bunny does the same thing is bugs bunny an action star though no he's not i will say that one thing that t2 and point break have in common is prominent viaduct scenes so it's definitely some la bingo going on there also patrick swayze died too young national treasure she's like the wind roadhouse the second movie that we watched is 1995's die hard with a vengeance or if you're not cool die hard 3 directed by john mctiernan starring bruce willis samuel l jackson jeremy irons john mcclain has another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, this time in the streets of New York and joined by a reluctant civilian partner. Tessa. It was fine. It was enjoyable. I I did enjoy sort of the buddy comedy between Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. And you could tell that this movie was trying to do stuff about race. It, it talks about race a lot. But it, And it holds up better than a lot of movies in the 90s who tried to talk about race do. But there are still some really cringeworthy moments, especially because Die Hard is such a propaganda film in a lot of ways. So it's really difficult to kind of see some of these scenes, like where the, the cops are reviewing security footage that clearly show a cop pulling a gun on Samuel L. Jackson for speaking rudely to a white man. And like, eating popcorn like that's the you know it's it's just not it's supposed to be funny and it's not in that way but it's okay it's okay i enjoyed the jeremy irons subplot about him being hans's brother but not really there for revenge that was kind of fun i always enjoy a good villain that's like man i i'm a bad guy but i'm not evil i always enjoy that we get a couple of those in this rewatch it was fine it was better than two die hard on a plane but it's just never going to have the charm that one does, I think. Have you seen this one, Andy? Uh, no, I haven't. But speaking of straight-to-video uh, movies, Die Hard spawned one straight-to-video release in, I believe it was 2014's Die Hard uh, 5. Because no one saw it in theaters. Oh! I do have a question for you, Andy. I asked this on Twitter. Is Jason Statham a fancier... Bruce Willis? Yes. I mean, Bruce Willis is really rocking the dad bod in this. I, I mean, maybe it's just because I watched Hobbs and Shaw recently, but I was definitely seeing a lot of parallels between the type of action star that they both are. And also remember that Jason Statham got his star, uh, his, his starting whatever, in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, which is a fantastic film and is funny. And Bruce Willis used to be in uh, that one sitcom that I don't remember the name of, Moonlight or something. It was a dramedy. Oh, okay. I'm Actually, sorry. it it wasn't a drama or comedy. It was a mystery crime solving show, but it's an early precursor of a dramedy. Anyway, I was concerned with how Die Hard with a Vengeance was going to hold up. I hadn't seen it originally since the 90s, and it's good. It's better than I thought it was going to be. It's certainly much better than the train wrecks of four and five. There is a Donald Trump burn in the movie, which is fun. And there's probably one of the first pop culture Hillary Clinton drags too. So I don't know. A lot of jokes made at everybody's expense. 
Next up, reaching the halfway point before we do, we took a look at 1996's The Rock. Directed by Michael Bay and produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, this is the broiest bro movie that ever broed, starring Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, and Ed Harris. When a terrorist takes control of Alcatraz and threatens to launch a bioterror attack, who are you going to call? Not Dwayne Johnson, that's for sure. Going to go to you again, Tessa. Yeah, this was my least favorite movie, I think, out of all the ones that we watched. I just think it takes itself too seriously for most of the movie. And it has way too much going on. Like, there's the terrorist plot, but then there's also... Like, there's terrorist backstory, which, by the way, these movies definitely taught me that if you're white, you get a backstory if you're a terrorist. But there was the whole terrorist thing. There was the, the those things. There was Nicolas Cage's whole thing about him and his girlfriend and her being pregnant. But he's also a chemist. And then there's Sean Connery's whole thing about being a spy that's been in prison for all this time. There was just too many characters. They tried to follow too many threads. And it just doesn't, to me, it just didn't work. There was no real motivation beyond this is a bunch of white guys doing stuff to each other. I do want to hear uh, Andy's Sean Connery impression, though. That's right. I've been working on this uh, Connery impression for quite a while now, and I think I finally nailed it. Oi, I'm Sean Connery. Nice. So, boy, I I did not enjoy this movie. I don't think it really travels well out of the 90s and of course you know i i will stand behind a lot of jerry bruckheimer movies i will not stand behind a jerry bruckheimer movie directed by michael bay michael bay is clearly the problem out of the two of these people going back and watching this movie i realized this was an excuse to get old man bond who swore a lot and so what i realized was this is old man logan And so, two-part question. Is Logan a better version of The Rock? And two, is bringing back Sean Connery and having him say the F word a good reason for any movie to exist? I mean, I think there are a lot of versions of this movie that are better than The Rock, so Logan is clearly a better movie. I like that Logan's a Western, too, which I think works better than the Alcatraz setting of this particular movie. You know, I I did enjoy all of the Bond jokes. I did enjoy all of the nods to Bond in this. I enjoyed, like, basically how at any moment Sean Connery was about to ask for a martini, shaken, not stirred, or to sleep with somebody. Like, I, I enjoyed all of that. But it just seemed more like a gimmick. And he definitely dominated this movie in a movie that has Nicolas Cage in it. He overshadowed Nicolas Cage in a movie. And keep in mind that this is Nicolas Cage coming off from his Oscar win from Leaving Las Vegas. Nicolas Cage, man, that is a whole thing. I mean, he's done, at this point, he's done Moonstruck with Cher. He's done with the Coen brothers. He's done Raising Arizona. He's done the neo-noir western Red Rock West. He's won an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas, which is a deeply, deeply traumatic movie. And then he goes on this action movie, Bender, which is just insane. There's also a really great arc if you track the arc of The Rock to Con Air 
to face off. He starts off as the hero, transforms into the hero who is imprisoned wrongly, and ends as the villain. And in The Rock, he breaks into a prison. It's, I mean, come on! So based on this rewatch, or this watch, I guess, because the only one I rewatched was the next one we're going to talk about, Mission Impossible, there are a couple of things that I gather we were concerned with in the 90s. We were concerned with white terrorists who had liquid explosives and nerve gas. Those were two things that we were very, very concerned about in the 90s. But we were also very concerned about prison, being imprisoned wrongly and just sort of the trappings of prison, I think. And we can talk about that when we get to Con Air. But these are things that I noticed throughout all of these movies. And because you guys were like six years old, I'll tell you, part of the reason that this is such a big deal in the 90s is we don't have the Russians anymore. The 90s are this weird time where we're trying to figure out who we're supposed to be scared of. And there's a really interesting brief period in the 90s where we said, you know who the real villains are? White extremists. Somewhere along the way, we forgot. But all we need to do is watch a bunch of 90s action movies and we can remember who the real enemy is. Speaking of national treasure, we're going to segue from Nicolas Cage to John Voight. Huh? Huh? All right. (laughs) Speaking of white extremists, didn't that work so well? Like, I pulled a lift. All right. Speaking of white extremists who everyone should be afraid of, Angelina Jolie's father. (laughs) So we went for a walk and we kind of shook out the rock. We came back with another 1996 film, Mission Impossible. Based on the 1960 television show, Directed by Brian De Palma and starring Tom Cruise, John Voight, Ving Rhames, Jean Reno, Kristen Scott Thomas, Vanessa Redgrave, and national treasure Emilio Estevez. Tom Cruise steps into the shoes of iconic IMF agent Ethan Hunt in a shocking turn of events. Andy, I'm going to go to you first because synergy. Dun, 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 dun. I, I've just been kind of jamming out to the theme song in my head, or not even the full theme song, just like the first the first 45 seconds of the theme song. Uh, this movie is fun. It is super fun, but also it's so weird that we had this particular one uh, movie on this list this week because I am talking about my um, attempts to speedrun Mission Impossible, the Nintendo 64 game, on... Friend of the show's podcast, Ultra 64, uh, Steve Guntley. I I will uh, be talking with him when this comes out. It'll be last week's episode. So Ultra 64, Mission Impossible, the video game, a game that I have attempted to speed run. So we have Andy talking about an adaptation of an adaptation of a TV show which Tessa is much more familiar with than I am, as somebody who's familiar with the original television show, does this movie have any redeeming quality beyond proof of concept for a Tom Cruise franchise? Oh, I think so. I actually think this movie is very clever. I I grew up watching the Mission Impossible show. In fact, I watched the show 
a long time before Tom. I saw the Tom Cruise film. I loved that show as a kid. We would get the discs from Amazon or from Netflix with the with the show on it, and we would just like watch them. And they are they're actually really good. And I would highly recommend that if you are into heists or into spy movies at all that you would really enjoy this show it is not like the tom cruise franchise has become which i like the tom cruise franchise it is a very different it's more of an ensemble type of show where they had a rotating cast of characters but it was mostly the same people who would get together to do these sort of clever little missions for the imf the u.s government right this whole idea of disavowing them if they get caught or whatever This movie does such a clever thing in that it sets itself up to be a continuation of the ensemble show in the in the opening sequence. Right. It has the theme song. It has the different people being featured parts of the team. We get to see the beginning of an IMF mission where they're all like they're putting these pieces together. They've got the the face disguises, which are from the show. They have all these bugs and cool gadgets that they're going to use. And then 10 minutes into the film. Everybody but Tom Cruise's character dies, right? Which is definitely not something that the show would have ever done. In one of the most intense scenes, uh, I had in like one of the most tense scenes I've ever seen when I saw this when I was like 10. Like, that is terrifying. Yeah, especially if you went into this, which I was the first time I watched it, thinking this was going to be like the show. So it was it was very, very intense. And this is supposed to set up Ethan Hunt as his own Mission Impossible character. It gives us some of the things that we get in the later, I think, better installments in the franchise, right? We get the iconic scene where he's on the on the wire being lowered down into the uh the CIA what is it, a mainframe? I don't know what it's called. Anyway, the MacGuffin. And we... The MacGuffin chamber. The MacGuffin chamber. and get the uh, NOC list. Yeah, the... Yeah, the knock list. And we get... So we get some really cool, like, stunts that we're gonna get... In, that are only improved on in future movies. But we still get that sort of heisty spy, like, them doing impossible things. It's good. I think it, that the later movies are better in so far as the Tom Cruise aspect of it goes but I really think that the way that they took the ingredients of the show and made it into a single star action film works really really well here no one thinks that this is the best movie in the franchise each for a while each of the movies is trying to do something different but I don't think that there is a bad movie in the franchise so with the exception of Point Break I saw all of these in the 90s I saw Point Break for the first time about eight years ago. I was not allowed to see rated R movies when I was 11 years old, so I did not see Terminator 2 until a few years later. I didn't see Point Break till about eight years ago. The rest of these movies I saw in the 90s and have not seen since. So I was really excited to get back to Mission Impossible and see how well it held up. I didn't enjoy it much at all. I I don't know. I think... I don't know if it's Brian De Palma uh, or what, or, you know, trying to hew too closely to the original. Um, This may have been an expectation thing, but I will tell you, the final two movies that we're going to talk about came out the same year in 1997, which is crazy. Same month. Man, I saw both of these in the theater. 
this was the year I graduated from high school. This is this is this and Matchbox 20's debut album are sadly two of the hallmarks of 1997. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> man, I gotta tell you, like 1997 and 1998 were real mediocre in a lot of lot of ways. And then it got worse with new metal. But anyway. The first of our 1997 Nicolas Cage double bill is Con Air, directed by Simon West, who went on to Tomb Raider mediocrity. I don't know. The important thing here is we have another Bruckheimer-produced film. This one is much better than Con Air, but like Con Air, it stars Nicolas Cage. With him this time is John Cusack, John Malkovich, Ving Rhames again, Steve Buscemi, Monica Potter, and Faith Hill's version of the classic hit song, How Do I Live? And for anybody who lived through the 90s and wasn't seven at this time, this house is a Leanne Rhymes How Do I Live house, okay? Army Ranger Cameron Poe is wrongly imprisoned after killing a man who assaults him and his wife hours after his honorable discharge from the army. After serving his sentence, he's finally going home after a ride on Con Air. Andy. Yes. This is a monkey off your backlog. This is the first one we've talked about today that is new to you. Correct. How did you feel? Oh, this was such a delight to watch in all the worst ways. Uh, I, Nick Cage's accent to the score, which, by the way, the score, every fight, every action moment is the score is specifically being played. And it sounds like something from an act three. It sounds like the swelling of the final climax. They just throw the climax movies into here. You've got to reverse Fast and Furious, either five or six with... It's six. It's six, okay, with the the runway, right? And here you've got the exact opposite where it's a 45-mile-long runway because the plane crashes and just keeps going. And it just keeps going through buildings. It goes uh, everywhere. It is great all the way through the Las Vegas Strip. It, it is wonderful. And I finally got the whole put the bunny back in the box. Would you have put the bunny back in the box? Yes. Yes, I would have. Tessa, I know that you said many of the exact things that Andy just said. <laughs> what else you got? I mean, I agree with everything Andy just said. This this movie, like, the soundtrack killed me, man. Like, every single time that guitar happened over him, like, jumping through the air, it just, it killed me every time. This movie was so strange because I enjoyed parts of it. Parts of it are deeply, deeply problematic. And then other parts of it, I, the the whole obsession with imprisonment, I think, is really interesting because, let's face it, the demographic of this prison is not right. It is way too white to actually be reflective of the people who are in our actual carcel system. And I think to me, this shows an obsession with criminality. I think it's the thing that keeps white girls coming back to crime podcasts. This particular movie reflects that sort of attitude. 
I do like Steve Buscemi. I thought he was super creepy in this, and so was John Malkovich. However, I don't know. I, I just, I had a hard time believing that Nick, the premise of this movie, which is Nicolas Cage would be imprisoned for what he did at the beginning. Like, come on. He's in the they, army. They clearly explain it. They clearly explain that because he's an army, uh, an army ranger, he's uh, registered as a deadly weapon and he should know better than to use. So yeah, he goes to prison. But and... there are but there are witnesses that can say it was self-defense and he's from the army. There's no way a judge would have convicted him of years in prison for this. And that like really bothered me. Like, and I usually am not a stickler for that kind of thing. The other thing that really bothered me is how many times guns were fired on this plane. Like, they should all have died in the first 10 minutes of this movie from all Why? of the guns being fired. Because bullets would depressurize the cabin. Like, you're not supposed to f- I'm I'm gonna go ahead and pull up the uh the fact check that I know someone on the internet has done. They are always telling you you cannot fire guns on airplanes. Okay, from IMDb Goofs. So if it's not up here in IMDb Goofs, it's it's uh it's a scientific fact. No, no, I'm gonna push back on that one. <laughs> it says bullet holes go missing and then reappear throughout throughout the thing. That that's the only bullet. So you know why? So this really answers the question of why John Cusack's character was so mad about guns on the plane, is that he knows. His plane prisoner transfer system operates in like an alternate dimension, and he doesn't want people to know. I just, you know, and I'm not usually like, we're going to get to face off and I'm going to be like, yeah, none of this pulled me out of like the, the realm of reality here. But like for this movie, it just kept like grating on me that they were trying to say something about imprisonment. They were trying to say something about the army and being a good person in prison, but it just, parts of it just didn't really ring true to me. It was a lot of fun, but this just didn't seem as like genuine of a movie. I liked it better than the rock though, because it didn't take itself so seriously. One last thing about this movie though, that I forgot to mention, Cole Meany is in it. And I will always love a Star Trek person in a movie. I'm always like Star Trek. I always remember him from hell on wheels. So before we move past, Jerry Bruckheimer. I bring up Jerry Bruckheimer, and I've mentioned his name like a dozen times so far, because the 90s were so big with Jerry Bruckheimer. Like, he was a presence, and, and I think that's diminished a little bit in recent years. I just want to tell you, I want to give you the list of movies that Jerry Bruckheimer produced. Not EP, not executive. Produced. All right. Action movies, starting with Beverly Hills Cop in 1984, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Bad Boys, Crimson Tide, Dangerous Minds, The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State, Gone in 60 Seconds, Coyote Ugly, Remember the Titans, Pearl Harbor, Black Hawk Down. Kangaroo Jack, Pirates of the Caribbean. So the 80s and the 90s, once we get into the 2000s, we kind of get into, we get into Army Ganda or Armed Forces Aganda with Pearl Harbor. And then we get kind of a diminishment of returns there. And then he turns to CSI, which will make him more money than he ever needs. And just in case, Pirates of the Caribbean. 
But the 80s and the 90s were really Jerry Bruckheimer's time to shine. And finally, we're bringing this plane in for a landing. 1997's Space. Directed by John Woo, starring Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, Joan Allen, Gina Gershon, Margaret Cho, and CCH Pounder. The most 90s of cast lists ever! It was just missing Winona Ryder and we would have had bingo. As far as the plot goes, pass Tessa. (laughs) I mean, and so this is going to completely contradict what I just said about Con Air. This plot is perfect and I wouldn't have changed a single thing about it. And the reason why is because John Woo knows how to make just completely over-the-top, ridiculous action movies. I mean, if you're going to do this, do it. Like, lean all the way in. And he does. The best way that I can describe this plot is that it's a lot of bullets and facial dysmorphia, body dysmorphia. Basically, John Travolta's character is tracking Nicolas Cage, who plays just like the most creepy, over-the-top terrorist. Again, really concerned with white terrorism in these movies. and. He decides that the best way to infiltrate his group is to switch faces with him. And that the rest of the movie is just a bunch of face, face. The rest of the movie is just a bunch of face switching. All right, Andy. I'm going to go to you. And I want to ask you this question. I have been trying for the better part of five years to get Tessa to watch this movie. She is clearly in the wrong for waiting this long. And she knows it now. Part of the difficulty here is that it is so hard to describe how amazing and insane this film is. I saw it three times in the theater that summer. You were a lonely high school graduate. You know, it's funny. The reason I saw it three times is I kept going with people who hadn't seen it yet because I loved it so much. You were not a lonely high school graduate. <laughs> I, I was not. Um, I was and I wasn't at the same time. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. David Gordon Green should direct like a series based on my life. Anyway, how would you describe Face Off to someone who hasn't seen it, but should? Which is everybody. Right. No one has seen this movie, so... Fortunately, it's... Yeah, nobody's seen it, so you really got a lot to work with here. All right. So, basically, it is a violent Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday with doves? Right. Speaking of which, I just want to reaffirm to everyone that the movie Freaky was wonderful as a uh, Freaky Friday, but a horror movie. So you should, if you enjoy horror comedies, you should definitely give it a shot. So is Face Off the missing link between Freaky Friday and Freaky? Yes. Oh. Yes. That, that, people don't actually know this. They, they form a cohesive trilogy, and that's why the slash is in there, right? It's Freaky Friday Face. Oh, freaky. I like it. So, speaking of liking things, did you like this movie? I, 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 was, I was enthralled by this movie. Liking it is a different story. But I will say, uh, I always enjoy a John Carroll Lynch role, and uh, he did not disappoint. A few months ago, I have no concept of time, but a few months ago, I talked about Hard Boiled on this very podcast. John Woo's final Hong Kong film before moving to Hollywood. And of course, this is the middle movie of his Hollywood trilogy. The first one is Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and John Travolta. And the third is Mission Impossible 2, which are kind of the wraparounds of a couple of movies that we've talked about so far today. And I'm looking forward 
in 2021, watching those two movies as well as Mission Impossible 3 and 4 again, just to kind of have some good times. But I want to tell you one thing. There was a film between Hard Boiled and Broken Arrow. It was the 1993 John Woo directed, Jean-Claude Van Damme starring Hard Target. I just love how Nicolas Cage and John Travolta play off of each other in this film. Like at some point, John Travolta is doing his best Nicolas Cage impression and Nicolas Cage is doing his best John Travolta impression. And I just think that uh, I don't even know how to explain this movie at all. There's also a lot of wrongful imprisonment in it. And I do have to issue a content warning for this one for our listeners. There is some psychiatric torture in this movie as well, which I was not expecting. Just got to put that out there. My favorite moment, and I think that this is the moment that convinced me this was amazing, is the shootout scene in the. Uh, is in, that about the loft? Yeah, the, the shootout. Loft penthouse. The, the loft penthouse shootout scene where they both say, like, I guess we might as well kill each other, and they both hold a gun to the mirror, and so they're holding a gun to themselves. I think that that is one of the most iconic moments that I've seen out of any of these movies so far. Also, uh, I I just want to say that sounds like a dumb shot it is incredibly clever it is mind-blowingly clever the other thing and as i told you i saw this movie three times in the theater but seeing it now all the twinning in this movie obviously they're twins of each other they're the twin guns there's the the they might as well be twins the young boys there's, uh, you know, basically Castor and Pollux kind of operate as, you know, siblings, but twins. There's just so much attention paid to doubles and twinning. In this movie, John Woo's doing something that I think is pretty incredible. Uh, are, are you guys ready for a uh, episode of Andy's Preconceived Misconceptions? On today's episode of Andy's Misconceived Preconceptions. I have to say the opus for this movie as to why they swap faces. I, I, I thought it was the opposite. I thought it would end up being that Nick Cage captures the FBI or the, uh, you know, uh, Archer and decides that he's ready to drop being the bad guy and wants to mess with his arch rival one more time and swaps faces. But no, it's, uh, it's actually way more logical than that and fits better within the story and i remember talking to my wife as this was happening there's this scene where nick they think nick cage is in a coma so that's why they swap the face and i was like you know it's really weird that they would just go ahead and put john travolta's face on nick cage's unconscious body for like no reason and then nick cage wakes up and he has no face and you barely see it and he forces the doctor to do the entire procedure i was like that makes so much more sense. Thank you, John Woo, or whoever wrote this movie for, for making a screenplay that answers my questions right after I ask them. <laughs> Andy, you just reminded me of something, and this has been an episode of Andy's Misconceived Preconceptions. I was, I was riffing on the whole Archer thing, Archer and Prey. You know, the guy's last name is Archer, and there's Prey. So what I realized was, so we've talked about this Charlize Theron reboot, or remake of Die Hard. I'm going to propose today a Taylor Swift reboot of Face Off because, in her own words, she has been the archer and been the prey. 
Who could ever leave her? But who would stay? This has been Sam's brilliant ideas. Taylor Swift, call us. We will write this movie. (laughs) So that was our marathon for the year. And I think it was a success. Tessa, how do you feel? I have watched so many movies. I am ready for all of the Christmas movies now. Andy, it sounds like you enjoyed the Nicolas Cage double feature. Yes. Yes, I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I think Tessa, it took her about half an hour after the end of this one. And I'm just so exhausted. I'm ready to pass out. Tessa is already talking about what next year's will be. So far, the front runner appears to be, and I kid you not, X-Men. <laughs> I haven't seen those first films in years. I actually kind of want to know how well they stand up. So maybe next December. I don't know. We have a whole year to think about it. I think if we do, we're going to watch uh, The Rogue Cut, finally. I, I think you guys should do The Fast and Furious, but the X-Men. Yeah. The 25 days of X-Men or however many movies. 25 days of X-Men. You know, she actually mentions that in the last ep, possibly doing that. So it'll be interesting. Tune in next time when we'll be back to our regular shenanigans. Tessa gets weird with Square Enix and Kingdom Hearts. Andy watches Indie Darling Thunder Road. And I'll go to Mars to fight demons from hell. Where can you find us, Andy? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hebrews Pale Ale. Tessa. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris and Letterboxd at Archie Leach 9. Send us your thoughts about 90s action movies, the monkeys you've crossed off your own list this holiday season, monkeys that you'd like to hear us talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hotshot by Scott Holmes. It can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back. <laughs>